Let's pray together as we begin. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of studying your word. And we ask for your spirit to please guide and direct our thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have any questions on yesterday's presentation? Those of you who are here, give us an opportunity to answer some questions before I begin the next presentation. Yes, sir. Articus, that was the star. Pardon me? The star Arcticus, is that the name of it? Arcturus. Arcturus, yes. Uh-huh. How does that relate to Orion? I, I couldn't remember how that relates. It, it relates to Orion in, in this sense. That there are three questions that are asked. Four questions. I, I answered three of them. One is, can you guide Arcturus with his sons? That's what God's asking. Can you lose the bands of Orion? Oh, okay, okay. And can you... Uh, lose, uh, when can you bind the Pleiades? So the three questions are astronomical questions that were being asked of, a, of a Job. Of course, God has registered those questions for our benefit because it says that these things were written for who? For us. And so there, there are many things in the scriptures that are, are there and actually advance of science, but science doesn't know that because science doesn't read the Bible. But the scientists that do read the Bible recognize that there's something in the scriptures that must be beyond just human uh, wisdom because of that. There are in the Bible uh, over 1,800 prophecies. How many? Yeah, there are over 1,800 prophecies. I think there are 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. Uh, and all the other sacred writings that are considered sacred writings, for example, the, the Quran, uh, Hindu writings, Confucius writings, the uh, writings of uh, Buddha, all of these writings are actually uh, younger than the Bible. The Bible is the, actual, the, uh, the oldest sacred writings found in, in, uh, concerning uh, all these other, which means then that everybody that wrote after took something from the Bible and put it in their writings, either by concept, uh, you know, they may not want to plagiarize, but they certainly took the concepts that are there in the Bible. So there are many, many, many things that uh, are in the other writings. And, but here's one thing that's interesting. Only the Bible has prophecies. The other writings do not have prophecies. And another thing I should tell you, that there are 333 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. How many? 333 prophecies, which means then that God made sure that no mere human could appear as the Messiah except the true one. Now let me explain to you why. It is because in order for one person to fulfill eight prophecies is one to the uh, uh, ten to the fifty-seventh power. That means that you have to take the number ten and add fifty-seven zeros. In order for one to fulfill 48 prophecies, would be one chance in 10 to the 157th power. 
That means that you would have to add 157 zeros after it. So Christ, the true Christ, had fulfilled all those prophecies in order for him to be the true Christ. How many? All, all of them. So what are the chances one person can satisfy that? It's the same, and I'm talking about 333 prophecies. Usually I go over eight prophecies in, when I do a Revelation seminar, a prophecy seminar. Uh, but uh, the 10 to the 157th power, which is 157 zeros after 10, is the same as if you take the state of Texas and you were to fill the state of Texas with silver coins two feet deep. So all the state of Texas is filled with two feet deep of silver coins. And you mark one and you throw it someplace in that whole territory. And then you blindfold somebody and ask them to, with one pick to find it. What are the chances? Okay, the chances are uh, not only slim, the chances are almost nil. Okay. So, Christ had to fulfill the prophecy. Right now, there, there are several people who claim to be the Christ as we speak. Okay. There's one in the Philippines. The problem is that he's Filipino. He's disqualified because the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Just the place of birth of the Messiah had to be fulfilled. So the Indian fellow in India who claims to be the Christ is disqualified. He's born in the wrong place. The Puerto Rican in Miami who claims to be the Christ is disqualified because he's born in the wrong place. So God then protected the only Messiah that you and I should trust in. And he did so by prophecy. What do you say? So you can put your trust in the right person. And that's Christ. Several years ago, this man made a statement. He is Stephen Hawkins, the astrophysicist who holds the Isaac Newton Chair of Mathematics. Uh, Dr. Stephen Hawkins uh, said the following. I fear that since the evolutionary process has worked through the dialectic with determinism and aggression. In other words, I fear that because we're animals. That's what he means by this. Evolutionary process has worked through the dialectic of determinism. That means the fittest, the, uh, the survival of the fittest, okay? And aggression, because we are animals, we are aggressive. And it says our long-term what? Survival and what? Any hope for our species is what? In question. In question. But he says, however. However what? If we can keep from destroying, destroying each other for the next, how long? 100 years. 100 years. Sufficient technology will have been developed to distribute humanity to various planets. planets. Okay. Then he says, and then what? No one tragedy or tragedy will eradicate us all at the same time. The scientists recognize that we do not have much time on the earth. If you know that the scientists believe in evolution, they do not count time in hundreds of years. They count the time in millions of years, right? 
millions and millions and millions of years. I mean, they throw out a hundred million at the drop of a coin, right? That's how, that's how they'll find that coin covering Texas. If you give it long enough time, we'll find it. That's correct. Okay. So, um, the, this man then, later on, in fact, not too long ago, in 215, in April, he appeared uh, being transmitted from uh, England via technology so that his form actually appeared on the stage of the Sydney Opera House in the shape of a, what you call a, a hologen, okay? So he then, at that time, it says, just predicted the end of the world, but proposes an optimistic solution. So he's saying again that the world will what? Will end. The world, the world will end. Now there's no question in his mind that the world will end. The question he has is how we will escape. That's the question. So here he says, I don't think we will survive another what? 1,000 years without escaping beyond our fragile planet. Now what's interesting is this. He mentions 100 years and then he mentions 1,000 years. And what's interesting is that the Bible mentions 1,000 years. But I'll explain that later on. All right. Um, humans have how long? 100 years left on earth. This is May 10, what year? 2017. So what he's doing is he is getting more and more concerned and he is making it absolutely clear that humanity only has 100 years. Okay? And that's based upon all the scientific understanding that he has about what's happening in the world. Now, his suggestion is that in order for us to survive, humanity, in order for it to prolong in the future, that the only remedy is to get off the planet. To do what? Get off the planet. Okay. He recognizes that the planet doesn't have long to go. Everything is falling apart. And he realizes that if we could find someplace else, then we have a chance. Now, <clears throat> there are other people who are talking about the end of the world. The world will end in October 31. Christ's return will spin the polls, headlines, and global news. October 20, 2016. But what will really happen to the end of the world on October 31? It will lead to a polar reversal and the earth will begin to stagger like a drunk. Here's another one. 2017 will probably be even worse than 2016. Here's five big. Uh, the 2017 is when the damage of Brexit will really hit home. The world will end in 2017, supposedly, because a rabbi predicted that. Then, former NATO official predicts World War III for 2017. And uh, basically, He's saying that in 2017, there'll be a nuclear war. So, obviously then, we're going to die one way or another, correct? That's the, that's the prediction. Now, even uh, there's a group of scientists, and uh, doomsday clock moved forward closer to midnight. The, this is CNN. The world is closer to doomsday. 
That's the message from the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, which moved its iconic doomsday clock up two minutes on Thursday. In other words, it used to be five minutes to doomsday, now they moved it up to three minutes, okay? Here it is, right? It is two and a half minutes to midnight. You have to be serious to get up in front of the world on CNN and say something like that, right? So, and these are scientists, so these people are dead serious. We don't have much time on the planet. Now, the question then is, is time really running out on planet Earth? That's the question. And the solution, of course, is that uh, if, if it is true, then we got a way of escape, is what they're saying. Well, let's consider that. What are the chances for humans to travel to another galaxy or planet that can sustain life? First of all, you have to find a planet that can sustain life. So, several years ago, several years ago, uh, the Hubble telescope decided to fix on that 10 dime uh, spot in the darkness. And uh, here's the picture. What they thought was other darkness turned out to be just that it was too far away for them to see the 1500 galaxies. And every galaxy has Billions of suns in them. Just like our Milky Way. Our Milky Way is a galaxy, uh, and it has billions and billions of suns in them. Now, here's a, the statement. About 1,500 galaxies are visible in this deep view of the universe taken by allowing the Hubble Space Telescope to stare at the same tiny patch of sky for 10 consecutive days in 1995. The image covers an area of, of the sky only about the width of a dime viewed from 75 feet away. So, that far away from back wall to here, and in that little spot, 1,500 galaxies. So what is out there then? Or better yet, how much is out there? All right, now, Astronauts are beginning to believe in God. This uh, was an article posted in Wall Street Journal. And it happened to be done uh, right after Christmas, December 28, 2014. Uh, here's, here's what they said. In 1966, astronomer and famous promoter of science, Carl Sagan, announced that there were two requirements for life to be possible on the planet. How many? Two requirements. One requirement was simply a star like our sun. If we can find another star like our sun and a planet a certain distance from the star, then it will sustain life. Okay? That's simple. All you have to do is find a star like our star and a planet the same distance uh, to the star as our Earth, and boom, it will sustain life. <laughs> On this basis, on this basis, began something called SETI, all right? The probability, scientists estimated that there are how many? 10, Ten to the seventh, 27th power in the universe, all right? There are roughly octillion one followed by 20 zeros planets in the universe. There should have been about septillion, one followed by 21 zeros, planets capable of supporting life. So they got excited. 
All right, there's these many galaxies out there, then there must be these many planets out there. So there has to be in one in the, in the uh, septillion planets, there should be a few of them that will sustain life. So they began a program called SETI. SETI Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. They figured out if there are that many billions of galaxies and that many billions of planets, all we have to do is put up antennas and catch whatever communication one is having with the other, and then we can tell them, hey, we're here. Okay. So they set up SETI. Now, one day I was flying on an airplane going from New York City to California, and the lady sitting next to me, I uh, asked her what kind of work she was doing. She said, uh, I'm a scientist. I said, what kind of science? She said, I'm in charge of SETI. Now, I had no idea what SETI was. So I said, what's that? Oh, we are looking for life out there in space. And so I'm in charge of all the apparatus that's pointing up to space to find life out there. And I said to her, you guys are too late. And she looked at me. She said, what did you say? I said, you're too late. Oh, she said. I said, yeah, the Bible tells us there's life out there. She said, where? I opened the Bible and showed her Job. And I said, you guys are trying to build a city in space, right? She said, yes, you're too late again. She said, don't tell me. I said, yes, Revelation 21 says there's a holy city, and it even has a name, New Jerusalem. And then I said, it's not too long ago that you folks discovered how to make transparent gold, correct? She said, don't tell me. I said, yes. <laughs> In verse 18 and 21 of the same chapter, it says that the city's walls are made of transparent gold and that the streets of the city have made of transparent gold. Did you know that? For centuries, people laughed at the story of transparent gold because it didn't exist. Fairy tale, they said. But now science has discovered how to make transparent gold, and it is used in several applications. In fact, uh, several years ago, let me see if I have a picture of that. No, I don't have it here. But several years ago, uh, they made a Thunderbird car. How many of you remember the Thunderbird? One of the cars that was made was with the windshield with transparent gold. Did you know that? Uh, the sad part about it is that one of the drivers was driving up to Alaska and a stone smashed his windshield and he didn't realize that the windshield had transparent gold in it. So when he took it in to get it repaired, the bill was $10,000. <laughs> so now scientists have discovered how to make what? Transparent gold. If I had asked you before, have you ever seen transparent gold, what would have been your answer? No. Does it exist on the earth? What would have been your answer? No. And I've asked the question, and people, oh, yeah, it exists in heaven. I said, but it exists here on earth also. Uh, in fact, the windshields in jet planes, you know, I'm talking about the uh, airliners. All the windshields have transparent gold in them. The reason for it is that transparent gold is the best conductor of electricity. So like the lines in the back of your windshield, the back window in your car, you know, the lines, electric lines that warm up your windshield so that the, or your back window so that they, they will defrost. Well, that's the same application that they use transparent gold for in the, in the airplanes. 
to keep the, the windshield uh, flexible so in case something hits it, it doesn't shatter. Because, you know, if glass freezes, what happens? It can shatter very quickly. Okay. So now you know the rest of the story. Well, that poor lady was just baffled. <laughs> and after our conversation, she said, it was providential, she said, that you and I sat together. And I like that word because that was not part of her vocabulary before. Yeah. It's providential that you and I have sat together. She said, the next thing I'm going to do when I get home is buy a Bible. Amen. Okay. So, they set up all the equipment to find life out there. And 50 years have passed and the silence has been deafening. No signal from outer space. So the government gave up financing it, but there are private contributors that are still financing the project, still believing that they're going to capture some signal from outer space. All right? And I wouldn't be surprised if the devil takes advantage of that and sends them a signal. All right? But however, uh, what happened then? Wall Street Journal states that there are now how many? Over 200 parameters necessary for a planet to sustain life. Carl Sagan said there were two. But as technology continued to develop, they found out that two were not sufficient. That there has to be over 200 conditions for a planet to sustain life. What does that mean? Well, Peter Schenkel wrote in, in a uh, 206 in the Skeptical Inquirer magazine, he said, in light of new findings and insights, it seems appropriate to put what? Excessive, Excessive euphoria at rest. What is he saying? We got too excited too quickly. All right. We should quietly, we should what? Quiet. Not publicly, but what? Quiet. Quietly admit that the early estimates no longer may be tenable, okay? So at first they got all excited. They invested millions of dollars in this SETI operation, and there was silence. And now they discover that two conditions are not sufficient. There are over 200 parameters that have to be in place, some of them in a millionth of a second in time. In other words, if those parameters are not together at the same time, it cannot happen. All right? So, as factors continue to be discovered, the number of possible planets hit what? Zero. Zero. At first I thought there were septillion planets that can sustain life, but now with 200 conditions, it dropped down to zero. No planet out there, according to the parameters that they have discovered, can sustain life. How many? Zero. None. Then uh, it says, and kept going, went beyond zero. In other words, the odds turn against any planet in the universe supporting life, including this one. You and I should not be in existence with those conditions. Okay? So, the probability said that even we shouldn't be here. So, Dr. Hugh Ross then, an astrophysicist, 
compiled the 200 parameters that must be met by any planet that could possibly support life such as us. That was over how long? Ten years ago. Ten years ago. So if 10 years ago there were 200 parameters, there's a good chance that there are many more parameters that have been discovered. And only with the 200 parameters makes it impossible for us to be alive. Now, what are those conditions? Let me share some with you. Number one, it has to be a what? A spiral galaxy. Now, you probably don't know much about galaxies, but some are actually spiral. In fact, Milky Way is a spiral galaxy. Okay. Now, it will have to be a certain size, not too big, not too small. It will have to be a certain age, not too old, not too young. These facts will eliminate and estimate how many? 90% of, of galaxies as candidates for a planet that could support life. The reason for that is that most galaxies are either too young or too old. They're too big or too small. It has to be the right age and the right size. And because the reality is that that's not the, re the reality out there, 90% of the galaxies in space cannot sustain life. That only leaves a potential 10%. Okay, now, the planet would have to be situated where? In the right location in the galaxy. It has to be located in a narrow region between the spiral arms of the spiral galaxy. If it is too close to the center, it will be destroyed because it will travel too fast and run into one of the spiral arms. If it is too far away, it will travel too slow and be destroyed as well. It can't be in one of the spiral arms either. So it has to be between the spiral arm. It has to be in the right location between the spiral arms because if it's not in the right location, it will be destroyed one way or the other. So, what are the chances that that planet decided to be, planet Earth, decided to be in the right spot in the right spiral? What are the chances? Now, here's our galaxy. And we live someplace in here, between the arm, okay? That's, that's the Milky Way. That's home. That's where you and I are. So it actually has to be in the right location, in the right place, with the right size galaxy, etc. Now, galaxies that are too much bigger than the Milky Way, radiation levels are likely to be too high for an Earth-like planet to support advanced life. The star around which a life-bearing planet must be a single star of just the right size and age. In other words, it has to be near a single star. The reason for this is that about 75% of the stars in our galaxy are twins. So that immediately eliminates those stars. If there are two or three together, then it eliminates those stars. It has to be a single star in order to support life. Okay? So, about 75% of the stars in our galaxy are combined in groups of two or more stars revolving around each other and thus automatically eliminated. This is because a planet cannot maintain a what? A stable orbit around a multiple star.
In other words, for you and I to be alive, our planet has to keep on doing circles. And it has to be in the right circle. Okay. Now, it must be a very specific mass. Stars that are slightly more massive than our sun burn too quickly and too erratically to maintain life support, even for a planet at just the right distance. Stars that are slightly less massive than the sun will not work either. The smaller the mass of a, of a star, the less energy it radiates, and the closer in a planet must be in order to maintain a range of temperatures suitable for life. So the Earth has to be at the right place, it has to be the right size, it has to be in the right location. It can't be close to a big star or a small star. A star has to be just the right size. Okay. Number seven. Earth has maintained itself in this narrow range of temperatures suitable for the development of advanced life. If life originated and developed in strictly naturalistic processes, one wonders how these blind processes could have possibly anticipated the physics of solar burning. In other words, how did the Earth figure out how to be and where to be? If the balance had gotten out of sync, then the Earth would have plunged into either runaway glaciation or runaway heating. In other words, you would either fizzle or frizzle. <laughs> All right. Here's the Earth axis. It is actually at 23.5 degrees. And the tilt of the Earth's spin axis with respect to the plane of its orbit about the sun is important for habitable Earth. The Earth's spin axis is tilted 23.5 with respect to the ecliptic, giving moderate seasons, preventing temperatures extremes anywhere on the planet. So because of the way that the Earth is, uh, that means then that there are no temperatures on the planet that are beyond our ability to survive in one way or another. But you know, you have people who live in the deserts, right? And sometimes the temperature is 120, 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Sometimes people live up in the ice. And uh, the coldest that has gotten up in the, that they have registered is 459 degrees below zero. Of course, you can still survive up there. All you have to have is just protection and you can survive up there. You know, we have scientists up there, people living either in the South Pole or in the North Pole. So, but, but, um, because of the tilt of the earth, it will never get any colder or any hotter, okay? In other words, uh, there are temperatures on the, on the uh, that have been discovered that are over thousands of degrees Fahrenheit, okay? But those temperatures don't happen as the sun radiates its heat toward the earth. Fortunately, because otherwise we would all be not talking right now. All right, so the planet has to be a near to a what? A big sister. Why does it have to be close to a big sister? Jupiter um, is quite large. And the, the benefit of having a big sister next to the Earth is this. All asteroids and any projectile flying to space is actually pulled into Jupiter, thereby missing the Earth. If it had not been for Jupiter, 
earth would have already experienced something like this. Okay? So, a planet, in order to survive uh, with human life, it must be protected from projectiles that are flying through space a massive amount of speed. In fact, most of these things that are flying through space uh, are flying about 29,000 miles per hour. So at 29,000 miles per hour, you know, if it hits something, it'll get hit. But fortunately, because of Jupiter, all of these things that are flying through space toward the Earth actually get swallowed by Jupiter. So as people, we should be thankful that there is such a planet called Jupiter. What do you say? Now, what are the chances that planet Earth was so smart to figure out how to hide behind Jupiter? You and I know that the planet has no brains, so it could not figure those things out. Well, let's continue. Uh, recently, science has gotten really excited because they think they found a planet that could sustain life, all right? And uh, it's called Kepler. What is it called? Kepler 452b. Uh, now, the interesting thing about this planet that they've discovered uh, while mining the troughs of Kepler transit collected between 209 and 2213. So far, it's the only known world in a system which lies, how far? 1,400 light years away in the in Cygnus constellation. And we're not going to get there too soon. You know what 1,400 light years is? You know what it is? Here's, here's where the light year is. A light year is the speed that light travels in a year. The distance, pardon me. A light year is the distance that light travels in a year. Okay. So here's how you figure out how far light travels in a year. You, you take it and multiply by 60 seconds because light travels 186,000 miles per second. So if you want to find out how far it travels in a minute, you multiply by 60. So 186,000 by 60 is 11,160,000 miles per minute. All right? So light has already traveled, since I've been talking, millions and millions of miles. Then if you want to find out in an hour, you multiply that, and you now have 669 billion miles per hour. So in one hour, that's how far light travels. But then, if you want to find out how, how fast light travels in a day, there you have it. And uh, in a uh, 30 days in a month, there you have it. And then uh, in a year. So, how many of you have gotten exhausted trying to figure out how far that is? So we're talking about billions and billions and billions of, of, uh, of miles. Just one light year. And that Earth that they discovered, that planet they discovered, is 1,400 light years away. So how fast do you think we're going to get there? Hmm? There's no chance. Did you hear what I said? In the conditions that we have today, there's no possible chance that any human would ever survive traveling that distance. In Jeremiah 31, 37, says, Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be what? Measured. Measured. And the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. What God is trying to tell us is 
that he's the one that organized everything. And he knows how far things are. And he also knows the limitations that humankind has in reference to the, the madness of trying to escape the planet. But listen, what are the possibilities of space travel? Let's suppose that it's possible for you to find a planet to travel to. The one they're trying to go to now is called what? Mars. Where are they trying to go? Mars. To Mars. Okay. Well, let's consider some of it. Near-Earth space is itself about how far? How uh, cold? Minus 356 degrees. So, space being a vacuum then, just to be clear, that this temperature of object is just in the shade. In the what? In the shade. But if you were not in the shade, it would be 239 degrees Fahrenheit. So as soon as you get off the planet, you immediately are facing extreme heats, uh, temperatures, either too hot or too cold. And you would not be able to survive it. Therefore, you must be in some kind of protective element, um, including a space suit. So let's uh, consider that. Humans venture into the environment of space can have negative effects on the body. Here's the negative effects. Number one, significant adverse effects of long-term weightlessness include muscle atrophy and deterioration of the skeleton system. Number two, uh, includes a slowing of cardiovascular system functions. Number three, decreases production of red blood cells. Number four, there's a balance disorder. Number five, the eyesight gets disordered as well. Number six, weakening of the immune system. Number seven, Additional systems include fluid redistribution, causing the moon face appearance, typical in pictures of astronauts experiencing weightlessness. Number eight, loss of body mass, nasal congestion, sleep disturbance, and excess fatalance. So already, you're in trouble. And that's with all the protection that we have right now. In other words, when the astronauts travel and go up into space and live in that space ca capsule, the last one that was brought down, I think it was a Russian that was brought down, he spent a year up there. When he finally landed, he couldn't walk. He had to be carried. So the, the reality is that an average lifespan for a tank of oxygen is how long? Six to eight hours. And if you happen to be doing spacewalk and somehow you're disconnected from your tether, you know, the string that holds you to the, to the space capsule, you'll immediately begin traveling and increase until you reach 29,000 miles per hour. So you will be flying at 29,000 miles per hour and you cannot be stopped unless you bumped into something, all right? And at that speed, if you bump into something, you're dead anyway. And that's the reality. So even though Hollywood makes all these films of uh, people uh, you know, being shot off from Mars and being caught by somebody, uh, not reality at all. Not reality at all. All right, so one of the most dangerous places for an astronaut is the launch and re-entry of their rocket. A lot of rocket fuel for reaction must, uh, mass and energy is required to attain even a low orbit or Earth orbit. The spacecraft needs to get up to 7 miles per second or what? 25 miles per hour, which is a very scary and dangerous speed. So just to get off the Earth, you're going to have to get up to 25,000 miles per hour. So, question, since 
the astrophysicist Stephen Hawking said 100 years. How many of you will be living 100 years from now? So how many of you have any hope of survival? None. Hmm? None. There is no hope of survival, period, for you. There's not one of us who will live up to 100 years. Well, the, the point is this. They don't believe in the Lord. So what they are trying to do, they're trying to say, look, we got to get off the planet, okay? 100 years does not provide any hope for any one of us who are sitting here. Some of you are already getting close up to that age, right? <laughs> At least your white hair betrays that. And so the reality, friends, is that uh, things are not what they think. The average distance between the two planets is 140 million miles between Mars and Earth. How far? How do you, 140 million miles from here to Earth. Which means then that that time of travel to Mars can be from 200 to 254 days. So in order for you to get to Mars, uh, which is a distance of 140 million miles, traveling at 29,000 miles will take you about 200 days or 245 days, depending on how close or how near Earth and Mars are. Because sometimes as they go around, they get closer to each other. And sometimes they get farther from each other, okay? So all depends when it is. So 200 days just in travel there. That's almost a year, correct? And then you have to get back home, which means two more hundred days. So just in travel, it'll take you one year plus. One year plus. And if you're like that astronaut that, that is uh, in excellent shape, because they don't send astronauts up there who are weaklings, you understand what I'm saying? They usually have to be in, in, in good physical condition. If one of them go, comes back and, can, and can't walk, what would be your chances after being a year away just in travel? All right? So the reality is, friends, that 2,000 years ago, Christ predicted that we would have to get off the planet. Who did? Christ. Jesus already told you that you'd have to get off the planet. How do we know that? When did he say that? Well, he said that in John 14. Here's what he said. Let not your hearts be what? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are? If it were not so, I would have told you. I what? I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and do what? And receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. 2,000 years ago, Jesus already made it plain and clear that you will be taken off the planet. So what Stephen Hawkins is suggesting, he didn't realize that he was predicting what Jesus already predicted, mm -hmm. that you will have to get off the earth. And you and I know as Christians that Jesus' coming is pretty, pretty near. I really seriously doubt it'll be 100 years before Christ returns. Now, you may say, well, you know, the coming of Christ has been predicted now for years and years and years. My great-grandmother believed it, she died. My grandfather believed it, he died. And my dad believed it, he's dead. And, 
and Jesus has not come. But I should tell you this, that the seventh from Adam predicted the coming of Christ. Who? Seventh from Adam. How do I know that? How do I know that? How do I know the Bible tells me so? Where is it? Jude, verse 14. Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. It says, Jude, it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, predicted these things. Look at Jude, verse 14. You will see that. So, the second coming of Christ has not been predicted recently as something new. The second coming of Christ has been predicted now for over 5,000 years. How long? 5, years. Over 5,000 years. And people who only live 100 years think that Jesus will never come because 100 years is a long time. When you consider 100 years to 5,000 years, 100 years is nothing. The reality is this, that all that's happening in science simply reveals the reality that the Bible is true. Amen. What do you say? Amen. That your hope must be where? And the Bible. Not in man. Christ has made it plain. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. By whose word? The word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go ahead of those which are asleep or who are dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Obviously, now that you know that science is saying, get off the planet, now you know that they're only parroting what Jesus said a long time ago. You will get off the planet. What did I say? You will get off the planet. But I like the way that the Lord will do it. I don't want to be in an astronaut suit, sweating and going through all the things that one goes through as an astronaut. Obviously, as humans, we know that we cannot bear the rigors of space travel. In terms of Stephen Hawkins' prediction about a thousand years, here it is. The Bible says then, then that after Jesus comes, there will be a thousand years and then the earth will be destroyed. So whether he realizes or not, he... By the way, when they asked him in that interview in, in Australia, do you believe in God? He said, no. The good thing is this, that now that all these things are coming out, in July they asked him the question again, and he shocked the community, scientific community. He now says that there is a God. Amen. Yeah. You cannot see all the facts and remain stubbornly atheistic. Any honest-hearted person can see the reality that the Bible is not just a spiritual book, it's a scientific book. It reveals things that are far advanced to science, and science is simply merely catching up. 
For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works therein shall be burnt up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. It is better to trust in who? In the Lord. Then put your confidence in man. Put not your trust in princesses, nor in the sons of man, in whom there is no hell. Friends, if there is ever a time when you need to reflect as to where your hope is, it is today. Even the atheists, agnostic infidels, recognize that things are pretty scary out there. They realize that we have no much time, not much time, before something has to happen. Their hope is like the people in the Tower of Babel, to build themselves a tower to escape the destruction that's coming. But it's futile. The idea of getting off the planet and going off to another planet is not a hope for me. There's no question that they can't figure out how it is that human beings will be able to travel far distances because the equipment that we have is not sufficient. When you have to travel uh, several years just in travel to get to a place, we don't have any mechanism that can enable you to survive that long. So that's why they're hoping Mars. They'll spend billions and billions of dollars just to try to get to Mars. But the sad thing is that it would be a lot simpler for them if they just simply would accept the offer of Christ. Amen. That he will come again and take those who have believed in him to home. Now they, they may argue and say, well, our bodies can't handle space. How are we going to do that travel? The answer is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that you will be changed in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And it says this corruptible must put on, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when Jesus comes, our bodies will be changed. And we will then be able to handle space flight. As we are now, we cannot. But when Jesus comes, he'll take care of that problem. Aren't you glad that he knows how to take care of it? You and I don't know how to do that. But thank God he does, what do you say? And so there are many, many things in the scriptures that are far beyond, beyond science. And the more we study the scriptures, the more we realize that the hope grows brighter and brighter. The more we study the Word of God, the more we can see that it's not just a man-made book written by some poor, illiterate fisherman. It is a book inspired by a divine being who has knowledge and understanding that far exceed any knowledge of man. And if you put your trust in him, your hopes will be realized. If you put your hopes in man, your hopes will be shattered. Because man cannot save himself, only God can do that. 
And so where is your trust today? Where is your confidence today? I hope that it is in the Lord. What do you say? Amen. How many of you are great, grateful for the things that God reveals in his word that solidify our hope in all that he has promised? What do you say? Amen. I'm very, very thankful. I rejoice in all that God has given to me. I'm sorry that I used to be kind of uh, ignorant about all these things. There was a time when I was godless, didn't believe in God. How foolish I was. But I'm thankful for the mercies of God Amen. that give us a second chance and make that which we thought impossible a reachable reality. And so, our only hope is the coming of our Master. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you again for all your promises and for the revealing of what we really have in our hands, a treasure. Amen. Oh, God, help us to more, more fully believe in your word. Help us to live your word, to eat and drink your word. And grant it, Lord, that nothing will shake us from our hope and confidence in our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we recommit ourselves. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.